As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea do the Super League hokey-cokey, then drop points against Brighton in a blow to the Blues' hopes of qualifying for the competition they spent 48 hours trying to get out of. Confused? Me too. Luckily, I've got some clever colleagues to guide us through it. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is straight out of the Super League. Cobham. I mean, straight out of Cobham. Well then. What a crazy time in the history of Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Who'd have thought we'd see Rhys James play left wing back? Ha 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 It's me, Matt, by the way. I'm joined by the Athletics' three Chelsea wise men. Hello, Liam Toomey. No Tammy Abraham in the squad again. The game is truly gone. <laughs> Morning, Simon Johnson. Hello. And ahoy, Dominic Fifield. Hello. Simon's not very with it. He should apologise to everybody in advance, I think. Yeah, Simon's had his COVID jab and is feeling the effects. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate him playing through the pain barrier. Right, we'll look back on a forgettable game against Brighton later, but first, an unforgettable 72 hours in the history of English football. The area surrounding the entrance that the teams use have now been taken over by the assembled crowd. Plans for a football European Super League are in disarray after all six of the English clubs signed up to the competition pulled out. We've just made history! We've just made history! The European Super League then, a half-baked stinker of an idea that was kicked into the long grass as quickly as it surfaced. And let's go chronologically. On Sunday night, with Blues supporters still basking in the glow of the FA Cup semi-final win against Manchester City, Chelsea, along with the other 11 breakaway clubs, released a statement announcing their intentions to join the new Super League Super League, the inaugural season of which would begin as soon as is practicable. Then all hell broke loose. Uh, Don, when did uh, when did Athletic reporters first get wind of this? It was kind of round Sunday evening that the news broke to the public. Was that the same time as as everybody in the industry found out too? I think that would be about right, wouldn't it, uh, Liam? And sorry, it was it was probably around Sunday lunchtime. I think one of the papers put on their their site this this, this story was. Was brewing. Um, it was it was, uh, it was Martin Ziegler at the Times. That's it? right. Broke that was it. it. Yeah, excellent story from him. And and it then sort of snowballed from there. Really, um, 
you know, trying to get guidance, etc., was interesting at times. Um, but even even in that on those first few hours on the Sunday, it wasn't really. I, don't, I think there was a certain amount of cynicism about it all, and um, I think a lot of people just thought it was some some kind of ploy to get UEFA back around the table in terms of negotiating a new Champions League deal, uh, rather than the sort of the cataclysmic plan that it actually proved to be. And I mean, it was. I mean, I've been doing this for twenty odd years, but that was that. Those last seventy-two hours were, were astonishing, absolutely astonishing. That a group of super club owners, you know, billionaires who are clearly brilliant in their own field, conceived this plan and believed that by issuing a a, a sort of well, a press release, I guess, containing a few explanatory quotes on Sunday evening at about 11pm when most of this country had gone to bed um, and then allowing Florentino Perez to sit in a Spanish television studio on a very strange show on Monday night and uh, declare that uh, you know teenagers wanted football to last less than 90 minutes and that they should explore all options in terms of reducing the length of games etc um, this silence from from all these owners, all these people, the, the the mechanics of this of this deal, this void that it created, it was just filled with the most tremendously dynamic opposition that should grow, that should give us all massive, massive encouragement for the future of football. It, it has to be a source of of promise that we can stand stand up to nonsense like this. Um, but the capitulation on uh, Tuesday night was equally dramatic and I mean honestly it was it was almost cleansing the way it just, it just folded in the way it did yeah it was brilliant brilliant night for football I think for all of us who, who work in the industry or just just love the game we hear in the aftermath Simon that that Chelsea were reluctant to sign up in the first place and, and the same was said of Manchester City are you buying that I find it a very weak stance whether that's the uh, you know the official stance from the club regardless I just think it's it there's no justification for what they did to sort of try and sort of do this kind of it wasn't our fault kind of but we had no choice um if they weren't convinced by it in the first place you're putting 116 years of history on the line for something you don't really believe in which I think is just as bad as if you were one of the driving forces. So there's no excuse for what happened. And and I'm some of the people I feel most desperately sorry for are the players and the coach because they had one of the great moments of the season on Saturday, completely overshadowed, undone, forgotten because or something that was done without even their knowledge. They didn't know anything about it. And the sort of, the lack of respect for your own employees. I mean, Gary Neville made this point far better than I am right now. But the lack of respect for your own employees to even let them know what's happening. These are the employees that are fighting for you to actually achieve your ambitions of winning titles and you're not even letting them know what's going on and then expecting them to go out and perform against Brighton um, when they're mentally, I mean, they're already exhausted. They'd, they'd obviously played quite a few games lately. But mentally, like the position they've been in the last few days where they're thinking, hang on a minute, 
all our work could be for nothing. We could be sort of getting our place at the top table without having to fight for it. Am I going to lose my right to play for my international team at, at major tournaments? It really is has been an unforgivable few days from from the powers that be at Chelsea and it's going to take a, a very, very long time for them to repair the damage. Yeah, we'll talk about how they can go about doing that later. If we, if we move to, to Tuesday night then, Liam, you, you were at Stamford Bridge. You saw the, the mass protest by Chelsea supporters. Tell us about the number of people there, the, the mood amongst them and, and how things develop with that iconic image. I think it's going to turn out to be of, of Petr Cech trying to, trying to reason with people. Yeah, so the the first thing I have to say is that for reasons too boring to go into, I couldn't get to Stamford Bridge quite as early as I wanted to. So I didn't catch the start of this, the, the sort of swell of the crowd on Fulham Road, and I I missed the the kind of you know interaction that Petr Cech had with them. Um, although obviously I saw the videos like everyone else as I was on my way to Fulham Fulham Broadway, going, "What on earth is going on?" <laughs> um, and his his face, you know, like the sort of wide-eyed panic on Petr Cech's face, I think will be the the memorable image, the defining image of that protest. And it, it kind of summed up, you know, I, I know that this this wasn't, I don't think this was Petr Cech's decision in any in any way. It's not really his job at Chelsea. Um, he might have had a role in the discussions, but it wasn't really his decision ultimately. Um, but his expression kind of summed up for me the just how, how taken aback um, the people at the top of these clubs seem to be by the strength of the reaction. I don't know why they were, because every single time the concept of a Super League has even been raised, there has been this kind of backlash. I mean, it hasn't been as severe because the, on this occasion, the threat was more real. You know, the, the, they actually went and declared war on football. And and so everyone rallied and mobilised against them, but I th- I think it was it was an extraordinary moment. It was an extraordinary moment that briefly I I wondered whether um, the game would actually go ahead at all because as as Simon tweeted at the time the the players were stuck at Chelsea Harbour Hotel and the team they were late leaving and to get to the ground and Fulham Fulham Road was completely blocked with just a mass of bodies and I I think. Yeah, it's hard to say just how many there were, but I think there was probably more than a thousand on Fulham Road at, at its peak, singing songs, insulting Florentino Perez, the American owners, um, the Super League in general, and also, you know, there were there was heavy criticism of Abramovich and of Bruce Buck and of other people at the top of Chelsea. So at, it was at this point that that word leaked that, that Chelsea had got cold feet. Simon, do you think they, they sort of leaked that information out to test the water, to pacify the crowd? It was an awful long time between the reports emerging that Chelsea were going to leave and the official statement at nine minutes to one in the morning that they had left. Well, Chelsea adamant that the fan protest had, had nothing to do with their decision, that, that discussions have been going on during the day about it. The statement the timing of it, given that they were so long in, yeah, it came several hours after their intention to withdraw came out, um, was a bit strange and also very underwhelming. There's sort of not much contrition there. 
and yeah, very very much after the the Lord Mayor's show. But I, I my my encourage is the, the, the positive thing about what happened though were those scenes on Fulham Road, and um, it was almost like the fans like <laughs> they've had a long long time apart from each other to sort of go through their repertoire of songs <laughs> and to celebrate something, and it was like they'd won a trophy. <laughs> the, the, the the sort of image of there were a few people that caught the image of when uh, it was Dan Rowan that sort of did the tweet of the BBC to say Chelsea are, are, are withdrawing, and and it was it was um, yeah pandemonium um, the celebration and it and it if there's sort of one positive we can take out of the last few days is that fan power still matters, and and fans still matter and 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 just sort of what people can still have a big say even if they don't have lots of zeros in their bank balance. And I, and I think that is, if there is something that's come out of this that we can talk sort of glowingly about it, I think it's that. And, and the fact that football did come together to stop this anti-football thing from happening. Yeah, and as we record on Wednesday morning, the Juventus chairman, Andrea Agnelli, saying the project cannot proceed. Yeah, yeah, we knew that anyway, Andrea, but, but thanks for, for pointing out. <laughs> Let's get on to some Twitter questions because we have had plenty of them. Uh, we'll kick off with David, who asks, by signing up to a competition that shows zero respect for sporting integrity and jeopardises the club's participation in existing competitions, can Chelsea supporters ever trust this board again? What do you think, Liam? It's a very fair question. Um, I mean, Chelsea would probably argue that you look back on Abramovich's track record and, and, and he's never got into football ownership for the money. So this decision wouldn't have been money motivated on Chelsea's part. It would have been more on ensuring they were still at Europe's top table, uh, whatever that looked like. But they pushed the nuclear button along with 11 other clubs. And you can't take that back. You can ride back the decision, but you can't take back the fact that you did it. Um, and no one will forget. Chelsea's rivals won't forget. Governing bodies won't forget. Um, and Chelsea's fans shouldn't forget either. And I think it's... Look, I know this I know this felt like a victory. Um, it felt like a victory for, for, football, for football fans um, and football's kind of traditional order. It's not a victory. It's a reprieve. This has been coming for a long time. We've been building towards this. The, the forces that have led football to this point have been in action for a long time. And Abramovich has been part of that process, you know, inflating the transfer market, gradually contributing to, you know, the growing gap between the rich and poor. Chelsea lined up with a starting eleven against Brighton that was more than £350 million last night. I, I did the calculations while the game was going on. I couldn't really concentrate on the game, so I thought I may as well do something else. And Brighton starting 11 didn't crack 100. You know, that, that is still the reality of the game we are in. And I think this is a, this is a reprieve. We were very lucky that the, the primary actors in all of this were as incredibly, staggeringly incompetent and disorganised as they proved to be and complacent about what they needed to do to actually push this through. Next time, they might not be. Next time, we might have people driving this that, actually know what they're doing and know how to you know bully the mechanisms of football into bring it into into reality regardless of the opposition so i think now is the time for chelsea fans and fans in general to keep fighting for the 
the football they want to see. Uh, because I don't, I don't think we can pretend that the the pre-existing order was working for fans either. Well, here's a, an interesting counterpoint to, to most of what we've heard from from supporters and, and indeed media. It c- comes to us from Will. I'll put it to you, Dom. Will says, "Is this just what we as fans deserve? We said do anything, always crying for more money. We just found it easier to call it ambition. But what now? Oh, this isn't the anything we meant. Football needs saving, but it has to start with us all admitting we are somewhat complicit." He's got a point, I think. Yeah, and the media is also part of that. And we are, we thrive off a good transfer story, don't we? We we love a £75 million spent on Kai Havertz story. Um, we just want that, that money to keep flowing, um, for the owners to keep spending, for the stories to keep being generated, uh, the, you know, the, the drama to, to continue rolling on. Well, sometimes none of that should be happening. I mean, the reality is people are overspending, people are... There, it, it, the marketplace is warped, as as Liam says. Uh, you have massive disparity on on the pitch. I mean, the, the the outrage over over the Super League was it was a closed shop. Well, are we seriously saying that, that the Premier League isn't actually a closed shop? Are we? Do any of those six clubs ever worry about relegation? Really? Well, they don't. Clearly, they don't because they can just go out and spend more money on better players if they need to. I mean, there's. Uh, the sort of early flaring hope from the whole uh, the whole scandal really was that that the English clubs might might adopt something akin to a to the German model of fan ownership, fifty one percent ownership of clubs. But how is that how is that conceivable? How is that possible in the English market? Who's you know which group of fans is going to be able to go and buy fifty one percent of Chelsea from Roman Abramovich? I mean, it's just not <laughs> it's just not possible. It's just not it's I mean and there are. Don't get me wrong. I think I think that the I think the fourteen Premier League clubs are pretty galvanised to to inflicting some kind of well, revenge is probably the wrong word, but they certainly want to sanction these these six clubs for what they do. And they, and if there has been a breach of trust in terms of of being members of the Premier League with what what they those six did, then I mean ultimately they have the power to. To deny them the vote, to deny them a, their twentieth of the Premier League, um, it's you know all the lawyers will be licking their lips at the the prospect of what might come. But something has to happen. We can't let this moment pass. We can't kid ourselves. And, and I'm, I'm not a Chelsea supporter, and I'm intrigued to hear Liam and Simon on this, to be honest. But we can't get to a situation where Chelsea is suddenly painted as the heroes of this, because they were the first to crack. If anything, the fact that they even went into this is so irresponsible because they clearly didn't know what they were going into. For the board to do that, to take that risk and risk everything they've put into that club over the last 18 years is scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. And, I mean, it it just leads me back to belief, really. Fair play to those supporters for getting on the... I wouldn't expect anything less of them, though, to be honest, because it galvanise everybody, the, the, the supporters of the top six clubs, and it's been summed up brilliantly by Gary Neville, as Simon says. Gary Neville is there condemning the owners of the club he supported all his life and played for and, and, and means something to him. Absolutely condemning them. Wants them out. Gone. Get rid of the hierarchy. Get rid of a lot of them. Start again almost. And if that means, if that, means that Man United are dragged down into the doldrums, then so be it. And it I think all football clubs have to look at that. All those six clubs have to look at themselves now and 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 wonder about the direction that their hierarchies are taking them and 
what their motivations really are. And we say Roman Abramovich doesn't need the money, but why else was he really doing this? Yeah, it's a really, really difficult one to answer. There's um, not to make this about Forrest, but there's a banner that Forrest supporters group have at, at the ground, which says, whoever's name's above the door, whoever holds the key, they'll never own my football club. It belongs to you and me. And I think that that's something that these owners of the big six clubs have, have hopefully learned over, over the last few days. In terms of ramifications Chelsea-wise, Simon, lots of people asking about Bruce Buck. Sam amongst them says, heard Bruce Buck might resign, then heard he definitely won't. I'd love to know if anyone at the club will be held responsible for this deeply embarrassing saga. Obviously, Man United put Ed Woodward up for that position straight away and announced that he'd be leaving. Do you think something similar will happen at Chelsea? Do you think it has to happen? Time will tell. I mean, the, the thing is, is that, you know, Bruce Buck has, has been a key part of Chelsea and Abramovich for the entire time. He survived the, the stadium fiasco. Don't forget, this isn't the first fiasco. That, that Chelsea and Bruce Buck have been a part of. The whole stadium thing is very similar, sort of just completely underestimating the public mood. Um, and he survived that. Um, he's a very influential figure. But I do wonder how, not just Chelsea, he's a, he, he, he's Chelsea's voice out in the game. Um, and I do wonder sort of how, we heard from Seferin sort of talking about snakes and stuff, how he will be viewed by other people Premier League club officials, you know, given what's happened. The word from those 14 clubs from the Premier League meeting that, that took place on Tuesday without the big six was that they will pursue individuals at the top of all these six clubs. Hmm. That is where they're, they're aiming. It's the individuals who've taken that one, that, that share of the Premier League. That, that is, it's, it's done in their name. We've seen Woodward go already. I think they will pursue them they will pursue them. They will pursue them because they cannot. Be, I mean, the quote that I got from somebody was that we cannot be in the same room as these people. They've just spent the last few years telling us barefaced lies. The horrible thing, as well, is that UEFA are also now painting themselves as, "Oh, aren't we wonderful?" And they've managed to sort of get through a, let's be honest, a, a different kind of Super League a watered-down Champions League with more fixtures, which means more money. So for them to come out and sort of make out that they're the great saviours of the game is, is pretty gross as well. And they, in a way, they've been the big winners of this because they've been able to get their new competition, which starts 2024, through, which, um, you know, when you look at it, it it's, it's, it's not a great competition either, but they've been able to get it through. Last question on this, Liam, I'll put it to you. It comes from at Lassa underscore DS. He says, how will Chelsea manage to bounce back when the Super League is blown off? I could imagine this is a harsh one reputation-wise as Chelsea want to be seen as a community club. And it's such a shame, isn't it? You know, for, for the last year, I've been so proud to work for Chelsea, given everything that they've done during the pandemic to help the community, to help the wider community. They've done some absolutely exceptional work. They're going to need to ramp that up even further. And even then, it's not going to erase the memory of, of what's happened over these last few days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the conversations that I had with you know people at the club yesterday, community came up a lot um, when they were trying to justify why they pulled out of this and why they were having why they'd had second thoughts and been having these talks it rings very hollow in this context and that is probably the biggest 
one of the biggest costs of Chelsea signing up to the Super League in the first place is that it completely undermines the credibility of what they did during the pandemic, what they've done, the the amazing work, the genuinely amazing work they've done through their foundation. Like they're leading the sport in terms of what their foundation is doing against anti-Semitism and racism. That is all hugely commendable. And we have commended it at length on this podcast in written form. All of it is undermined by basically the push of a button um, on Sunday night to, to, to publish that statement, to align yourself with these other 11 clubs that are standing in opposition to everything that football defines itself by. And so it is hard to see what the road to redemption is. I, I, it is a bloody long one. Um, where, you know, what, whatever, the, whatever the route is, they have to work very, very hard now. And I think they have to adopt a more, a more humble and a more humbled attitude when it comes to dealing with other clubs, dealing with their own fans, dealing with everyone in the football community now, because none of these, all of these football clubs, you know, all of their executives left the ECA, um, their positions on the UEFA executive committee. So in a very real sense, they've lost their positions of influence, but in a less tangible sense, they've also lost all credibility within the game. Um, and so now it's not Chelsea, but not just Chelsea, the other 11 clubs, they all have to work incredibly hard just to make themselves um, functional members of that community again. Okay, well, this story is going to run and run and we will, of course, keep covering it. Next, though, we'll have a brief reflection on the Brighton board draw. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Strong after the Lord Mayor's show vibes as Chelsea drew 0-0 with Brighton. It means they move up to fourth but missed the chance to go third. Uh, Thomas Tuchel not happy with how the pre-match hoo-ha had affected his team's preparations. This is what he said to the BBC. I was affected so I think the players were affected. I mean uh, we talked about nothing else than, than Super League and uh, in between we prepared the match. Um, that, was, that was the reality. Uh, nobody asked me about the match before. That was the reality. Simon, how, how concerned are we that this could damage Tuchel's relationship with the board? It, it, it's all been smiles and rainbows up to this point, but he looked rightly very, very annoyed after the game on Tuesday. Yeah, he will be, but um, he, he's also, let, let's not forget, he's also got a great opportunity here. This is still a, despite 
what's happened over the last few days. It's still a, a club with you know, the ability to challenge for major silverware. So I think he's going to be very upset about Brighton but and the effect that it's had on that game. But I, I, I think he's got still ambitions. You know, he, he was very careful with his words in the pre-match press conference not to rock the boat. That to me strikes a man that that is is playing the playing the long game. You know that he he still wants to keep on side of his employers, and I, I think he sort of handled himself pretty well. I know people were sort of saying were a bit disappointed that he didn't come out stronger, but he's not a Pep Guardiola. He, he's not got that that sort of strength of of having won lots of trophies and the sort of tag of being the best manager in the world and sort of able to walk into any job he wants. You know he. He's only been at the club for five minutes, so I could understand why he was he was playing everything with a straight bat. I think his his biggest task is is with his players now is to sort of try and it didn't surprise me what happened against Brighton whatsoever. Even before the the, the fast of the last few days, it was going to be a very difficult game because Brighton hadn't played for over a week. Chelsea had played. Uh, a couple of games, um, including a very tough FA Cup semi-final. Um, Brighton were obviously going to be also highly motivated, not just because of the their own relegation battle, but but as we saw with them wearing t-shirts, I think they wanted to prove a point. I thought Chelsea just looked looked shattered mentally, physically. Um, there were some sort of decisions I thought Tuchel made that were a bit that you could question maybe, uh, for example, starting Reese James instead of Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, I thought that was a bit of a strange one because Reese James looked looked really tired. Um, and Hudson-Odoi, you'd have thought you'd want an attacking, a really strong attacking wing back in a game like that. But yeah, as I'm rambling on, um, I, I, I do sort of think that West Ham now is is, if they can win that, it will bring the feel-good factor back a bit. And and it's important to do so, of course, now with a with um, the Champions League semi final um, looming into view as well. Uh, Liam, just before we move on from Brighton, you were there to see it live and in living colour. Things like Kepa starting just just totally brushed under the carpet, given given what else has happened. Um, did, did we also maybe see here final confirmation that that Mason Mount's best position is not in central midfield, but as as one of those front three? It was odd to see a game passing by in the way that it did uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to draw a 100% concrete conclusion from one game. I think there were a lot of other reasons why Chelsea didn't play well, but it is something that a lot of fans have been lobbying for. And it wasn't particularly, it wasn't exactly vindication, was it, of of that lobbying for Mason Mount in the, in the double six, as Tuchel calls it. Um, I think one of his best attributes is his ability to find pockets of space in the final third, receive the ball on the half turn, bring others into play and really get Chelsea on the front foot. And he, he just can't do that in the same way in a deeper position. He just has to do a different job. Um, so yeah, that, that's certainly part of it. I thought the Kepa decision was really interesting. Um, it only kind of registered with me in a sort of half numb way because of everything else that was going on at the time. But I think it's very interesting because does it, does it pave the way for Kepa's gradual reintroduction into this team? I think, you know, if you gave Chelsea's board truth serum, I think that's probably the 
well, you, you probably asked them a lot of things at this point, but um, <laughs> I think uh, I think that's something they would probably want to see in the longer term is is Kepper re-establish himself as Chelsea's number one. Tuchel appears to be giving him just enough room, just enough minutes to to rebuild his confidence and make and make a comeback like that look a little bit more feasible. And, and you know, Chelsea were a bit lucky to to get that clean sheet. Danny Welbeck had a great shot off the post. Adam Lallana missed a great chance. But it's another clean sheet that will probably only help the way Kepa is feeling right now. Isn't it great they were actually uh, bemoaning a, a missed opportunity with a with a home draw at home to to Brighton on a on a Tuesday night and eagerly anticipating a a critical game with West Ham this weekend because given that Chelsea are nineteen points off the top, if the scenario had come to pass that we've been discussing for the last section, none of this would matter. We wouldn't have anything to talk about. Mm. Nobody would be listening and we'd all be pretty glum. I was almost wishing for a VAR controversy. Uh, in, <laughs> Do you remember VAR? That, Do you remember football? It was amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, assuming Chelsea are allowed to participate in next season's Champions League, Saturday's game at West Ham is a biggie. So we'll have a look ahead to that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. A West Ham United versus Chelsea on Saturday then. The team's level on points, but the Blues above the Hammers, courtesy of a superior goal difference. Uh, Simon, is a, is a point a good result here or, or did Chelsea need all three against the West Ham side who basically got all their best players out injured? Um, no, I think they I think they need to go for all three because it's not just about West Ham, it's about the teams in the rearview mirror that, that because Chelsea have dropped points against Brighton are, are still very much in touch um, and, and you've got to try and make your move at some point to, to secure this spot. West Ham have been conceding goals for fun of late. Um, I think it's 10 in the last four games. As you say, that they, they are missing some key players, um, Declan Rice, Antonio. I mean, it's a remarkable story, West Ham, and I've obviously got to cut this bit short because it's a Chelsea podcast, but they, they've done a fantastic job. David Moyes definitely got to be in contention for manager of the year, just whatever Pep Guardiola does, because no one would have put West Ham in this position and, and sort of touching on what the theme of this podcast is all about, um, about the Super League. This is why we want competition for stories like West Ham, the, the, the surprise factor, the shock factor. Their fans are living the dream. It is, it's a rare, rare situation for them, of course, for them not to be turning on their board um, because um, their club is actually doing so well. And it, it's all down to David Moyes, but... But yeah, huge game for Chelsea. They've got to try not to think about Real Madrid as well because that's that's going to be in the back of their minds. Chelsea have also started picking up little injury niggles 
at the wrong sort of time of the season, but probably inevitable given the, the, the intense schedule. But yeah, no, they've got to try and win this game. They were a bit flattered by the 3-0 win in late December. So yeah, make no mistake about it. This is going to be a tough fi- fixture for Chelsea. Uh, Liam, Tammy Abraham scored twice in that reverse game that, that Simon mentioned there. Uh, not in the squad again against Brighton. More chance of him lining up for West Ham than for Chelsea next season, do you think? Quite possibly. Um, I mean, I don't have any information about the West Ham links, but they, they do seem to be pretty persistent at, at the moment. I, I think he'll have a lot of interest across the Premier League. Um, now that we're guaranteed to have a Premier League next season, I think um, I think there will be a, a good market for Abraham uh, just because he's 23-year-old England international who scored 15 Premier League goals last season. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to feature again under Tuchel if I'm honest, given where he seems to fall in the pecking order, there, there are no such thing as, uh, as less important games at this stage. Chelsea have all finals really left. And um, if Tuchel doesn't see Abraham as capable of carrying out what he wants from a number nine, I just don't see how he's ever going to use him. It's a very sad situation for, for Abraham. It's, it's one I still don't fully understand. I don't think it's been fully explained. Um, but it does feel like we're we're looking at the final weeks of his Chelsea career. Is that the one kind of black mark against Thomas Tuchel so far, Dom? That he, that he seemed so reluctant to use Abraham since he since he took him off at half time at Southampton. Some people just don't fit into a manager's style. Uh, what what he wants from his from his team. I, I mean, we we don't know the ins and outs of it on the training ground. But you know, it's, I don't think we should. I mean, Thomas Tuchel is a successful manager. Successful managers make difficult decisions. That's one of the reasons they're successful. If he thinks he's got better options elsewhere and he can rely on other players to do the job that he wants them to do, then then it's he's perfectly within his rights to to to, to go down other avenues. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's a huge shame because the, the progress that Abraham has made in recent seasons is is, is pretty obvious, really. But but again, it just comes down to the head coach's decision of the moment, um, and he's not got—he's not done a lot wrong so far, Thomas Tuchel, in terms of team selections and 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 the use of his squad. I mean, uh, you know, we can be hypercritical in, in certain games, but generally speaking, you can't really quibble too much at, at the reaction that he's instigated from this from this squad of players. So. It's just one of those things, I, I fear. Tammy Abraham will have a great career. Wherever he goes, he's going to be successful. It's a shame it may not be at Chelsea, but he will always he will always be the player, a player forged at Chelsea's academy, and, and that will mean that he, you know, he will retain the, the club with him wherever he ends up playing. Yeah, and he's still Chelsea's leading scorer this season. Uh, that game at West Ham kicks off 5.30 UK time on Saturday. We'll reflect on it on next week's pod. And we'll also look back on the first leg of the Champions League semi-final. A very brief elsewhere in Chelsea news this week. The under-18s lost 2-1 to Arsenal in the league on Tuesday. That after they exited the Youth Cup at the hands of Everton last week. The under-23s go to Man United in the PL2 on Friday night. Manchester City have this week been crowned champions of that division. Chelsea won it last season. The women's team in action against Manchester City in a key WSL game tonight. That's Wednesday as we record. They have the first leg of their Champions League semi-final away to Bayern Munich to come on Sunday. 
And that's just about it for this week, though. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. It's a pretty fluid situation, I would expect, this week. Uh, Liam, what have you got in the bag? Well, it was only a few days ago. It feels like a century ago, but um, I interviewed Alexi Smertin, who had a very good, very interesting, at times utterly mad career. Um, he's got a ton of stories. I very much enjoyed talking to him. He's he, he's he's a guy with a very good sense of humour. Um, since he retired, he's had a very interesting path as well. He's currently in, involved in the Russian FA, in charge of their uh, racism task force, among other things, which is a very important job in Russian football. Um, so I talked to him about that. I talked to him about his career. I talked to him about lots and lots of things. Um, I may, I may also have to go back to him now and try and talk to him about this Super League business. Uh, but that, but that should be running um, either the end of this week or early next week. And um, I'm hoping fans will enjoy that because there should be lots of really um, fun anecdotes in it. Yeah, looking forward to reading that. Simon, what have you got on the agenda? Um, recovering from side effects of COVID jab, <laughs> and um, and yeah, I'm, I'm starting to work on obviously the the Real Madrid game and the various issues that are emerging from that. But yeah, not much to. I haven't I haven't had much to talk about the last few days apart from how awful I've been feeling and how rubbish the Super League is. Uh, someone else who might have been feeling awful the last few days, Dom, Jose Mourinho. He got sacked by Spurs this week. You might not have heard that or, or remember it, given what's happened, but you've been writing about him? Yeah, apparently I did. Um, it does feel, <laughs> a, feels a long time ago. So a lot's happened since then. Um, but yes, yes. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a Mourinho unravelling without the success that he usually brings. Um, and I'm sure Chelsea supporters won't be... Would be crying too much that it didn't work out for for Mourinho at, at Tottenham Hotspur, um, but it was buried beneath loads of Super League stuff. And and the piece that Liam wrote on the, the Chelsea angle for um, that, that detailed the events of Tuesday is is worth a look. And as as I should also point people to um, Adam Crafton's column on the unraveling of of Super League, which considering the time in particularly in which he turned that piece round, it is a sensational piece of work. Yeah, absolutely brilliant piece, that. Yeah, the coverage from The Athletic has been outstanding. This is why you should uh, sign up if you if you haven't already. Theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go. Not just Adam Crafton, Matt Slate, uh, David Ornstein and our boys, of course, uh, working diligently and all hours of the day to get the very best coverage of the Super League fallout. Okay, many thanks to Liam, Dom and Simon for joining me today and to producer Lucy for putting it all together. It's another Wednesday slot for us next week because in case you've forgotten, Chelsea got the small matter of a Champions League semi-final with Real Madrid on Tuesday. Until next time, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.